Hello, welcome to another episode of I Love Rock and Roll. Uh, no chip this week, uh, no kahuna. We have Ming Chen behind the boards. He's waving, he's quiet, but he's here. And uh, I'm excited to introduce our guests today. Um, we have with us um, Bennett Miller and Johnny Bob of uh, the band Ghost Towns. And uh, what I love about this podcast is discovering new music and it's it's researching and finding new music. And um, I was turned on to you guys by a friend. Uh, you guys have a fantastic new record out called. Yeah. Called A Little Calamity. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for having us on. Appreciate yeah. it. November 20th. You're in Austin. And November 23rd, you're in Hollywood, Florida, opening for the Rolling Stones. Correct. That is the truth. How cool is that? Well, they definitely have us on to help them sell tickets. You know, they have a hard time doing that. Yeah. I'm sure that's why you're making the last minute push. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I was it's re- great, man. It's I gotta I gotta say since you asked, I can't let that question go by without saying that it's an absolute dream come true uh, to play shows with the Rolling Stones. Um, as I think pretty much any musician would agree, you know. So I I so can't, this, this has been super super I, gratifying experience for us. Yeah, I can't even imagine what getting that call must be like because they're like that's the absolute. Like for me, that would be the pen. I wouldn't need to do anything else in my career. I would be any time that I wasn't like with the Stones, like physically opening for them. I would be on the phone calling ex-girlfriends and people, you know, in my life that doubted me. (laughs) Telling them to kiss my ass. I mean, to your point, I plan on retiring on November 24th after the last show, because as you pointed out, there's not really anywhere to go from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, and, and the last show, the one in Hollywood, Florida, and I maybe I'm wrong about this, but is that the one like at the Hard Rock? Like it's just a couple thousand seater. Yeah, that's I think right. like so you, 7, oh, that's that. So you're you're saying like that's the. Seeing the stones is always great, obviously, but when, when you're talking about a 7,000 seater, that's you, you guys like, I would think if you can cherry pick one, one show from the tour that you would want to be at, that's the one. Yeah. I think it's obviously like really rare to get and, you know, figure your cons say, you know, we're calling a 7,000 seat theater intimate, but for them, you know, like, you know, we've been doing, uh, we're lucky enough to have been doing, uh, you know, we did five, this will make six shows with them on this tour and they've all been at football stadiums so far. So, which is an interesting experience as well, because, you know, the front row is 20 feet away from the front or 30 mm-hmm. feet away from the front of the stage. So in a way it's kind of like amazing, but isolating in a, in a opposite way, you know, cause it's so big, but uh, I, I was going to say that I, I really like playing a massive stadium. I mean, like if you gave me the choice, they're like, well, we got a stone show. One's got 6,000 seats. One's got 70,000 seats. I'm like, I'll take the 70,000 seat one. I mean, every time that, yeah. that to me, yeah, is, yeah, to me I, like honestly, but that's not to uh, discount what you're saying, which is that getting to play such an intimate show 
yes, that also does feel like a very special, special opportunity. Um, and it's also, it's, it's the last show in North yes. America so yep. far that's yeah. planned. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, you say that and it's cause I've got like, I'm thinking like a fan, you know, like if I'm a fan, I want to be, I want to be at the smaller intimate show. Right. Yeah. If, 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 if you're I, just trying to like sell your record, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah exactly. If you're, if you're, if you're just lucky enough to get to borrow the stones audience and perform in front of them, you know, mm-hmm. it's pretty awesome to get to borrow a bigger one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, uh, um, I mean, all, all in all, man, you know, I, again, just to underline how gratitude, how much gratitude I think everybody in the band feels for these opportunities. You know, it's just really like, um, yeah, exactly. When I get done, I probably will do exactly what you did, which is make a list of people who doubted me and call them and gloat. Yes. Yeah, I have. I have a list. I don't have it written down. It's in my head and, and I add to it monthly. But yeah, if I ever sell a movie or something there, there's going to be a lot of a uh, lot of. A lot of calls to clubs that never booked me or wouldn't return my messages. Yeah. What's funny is that, like, uh, with social media, like, you don't even need to make the calls anymore. Like, people mm-hmm. just see them and they'll call you. And yeah. uh, it's funny, you know, I, and I don't want to undermine being grateful for sharing this experience with everyone that I've ever met in my life but because, you know, people really do take ownership and, like, being proud to know you be a part of your journey. But, you know, you got the got the person that you didn't talk to in junior high school that you haven't talked to in 15, 20 years. That's like, yo, my bro, I always knew you were going to make, you know, it's just like, man, you just got to say thank you and appreciate it because they want to be a part of something. But it is, it is a funny juxtaposition sometimes where it's like my bro, like I haven't talked to you in a long time, yeah. you know? So, yeah. So yeah, yeah but, I, I want to ask him like, you knew I was going to make it. I had no fucking idea. Like, <laughs> you you know? knew before I did. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I had a. I, it's funny you say that. I had an English teacher that that found me on Facebook and friended me and saw that I'm a stand-up comedian, and and she sent me a message like, "I always, it's so great to see you doing what you love. You were always so funny. I I always knew you'd end up doing something like this." And I was like, "You failed me," and sent me to the principals every other day because you didn't like my attitude. Like, what are you talking about? But, you know, to that, though, it's funny because, like, that might have been what propelled you forward. And, you know, I think a lot of times people, you know, the lens they look through is what they see themselves capable of doing. So, you know, someone like along the way, like told me, like, oh, you know, better have a backup plan. Like, that's a tough thing. It's because they're looking at it from their perspective. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a little bit of like almost arrogance to be like, no, 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 just just watch. Like, I, I got this. Like, I know what the odds are stacked against me, but it's that exact attitude and that exact, like, I always say, like, I like people ask me like, you know, what made you pursue this full time and everything? And I'll just say, well, I was just really stupid and uh, you know, like just didn't care what the odds were. And that's the only way you're going to make, you know, do anything with this kind of work is you got to make the leap of, you know, you got to take a leap of faith and, and really not have like that safety net because when you don't have that, you like kick into survival mode and you know, you really, you, you really surprise yourself on the things that you can accomplish. And I think, you know, again, like going back to other people observing this, they're going like, that's never going to work because it doesn't work for them because they haven't taken that. Leap. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And I think there's also a lot of like, there's just, you find with a lot of performers in general, like 
there's just literally you, you can't do anything else. Like you, there's nothing else you would thrive at. Yeah, definitely. Like I, tr- you know, I, I've tried doing other things and I'm, I'm or just, even if you can do other things, there's like a part of you that just fucking has to do this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's cause there's, I mean, you can, if I, you can play a gig at night, you can do a rehearsal in the middle of the day. There's still hours left in the day to do shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can become, you can play golf, you know, there's yeah. other things you can do in addition to music. Um, I don't know. Other than golf, I, I don't know if there's anything <laughs> else, but, um, but I mean, uh, but yeah, I've, I, I view it more of like, uh, not that I can't do anything else, but that I, I have to do this. Yeah. You know? Like I have, I can't leave this part not lived, you know, right. the art, the art and the creativity part, you know, there's so many other parts of life that are necessary, but like, you know. And I think once you like, you know, once you get a taste of it, you almost have like a civic duty, a civic responsibility, because so many people would love to be able to be stupid enough to take that jump or like pursue playing a guitar. Like if, when I look back and think about that, I'm just like, wow, like what a terrible plan, you know, yes, like, but yeah. it just, it happened to work out. And and now it's like, you know, I feel responsible to continue doing it. And it, I mean, and we're talking even getting to this point, you know, because I'd be talking to, you know, someone who worked in finance or someone who worked in whatever. And they would say, wow, like, I, I wish I could do something like that. And, you know, and, and, it dawned on me, like not everyone has the, has the makeup to really deal with like all the failure and all the uncertainty of, you know, this path. And, you know, when you realize that, like, even though it's, you know, hard most of the time, you know, like you have the stomach for it and it's something that like you, this fire you can't put out, like yeah, a lot of people don't have that. So you kind of owe it to them so and they can live vicariously through it and you can share this experience at a show, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that, I think that's what people don't realize is that it's ninety nine percent failure. Oh yeah, but oh, yeah. it's I, it's it makes. I mean, you should see Johnny try to record a guitar solo. My <laughs> God! No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, John. I'm a one take wonder, baby. Johnny's just like at least. I mean, he's he's, he's probably batting like only a ninety six percent failure rate, which is. You know, comparative, comparative, which, which is the top one percent. You know, so that's basically yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, yeah. Sorry, not to detract from from that point, which is that yes, being a musician, like you have these mo- like, yo, we're gonna go play this these two more shows with the Stones. We've already played six, and it was incredible. You know, they're right. all incredible. It's been an absolute dream of an experience, and you know, every one of those sets was forty five minutes, mm-hmm. right? And there was a whole lot leading up to it. And then it was done, you know, and then you go right back to life. So, yep. um, I mean, at at a certain point, you know, maybe you can actually, I think the stones, I think for them, they're like enjoying a lot more of the time. I I get the feeling, you know what I mean? They're not just waiting for the show. They're also doing a lot of other cool shit in between. Well, you you Um, see that. We hope to get to that point, but. You see that on social media, Mick Jagger's just popping up everywhere. He's like, like he's just the city. Yeah. You know? He's like, he's like, Oh, Mick Jagger's at Dave and Buster's like, <laughs> yeah, I know. like what, why it's hilarious. But yeah, I think that, um, I think there's probably, I'm sure a lot of it. Ha- and I, I don't want to get into this. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with, with Charlie Watts passing and, you know, them realizing we're, we're much closer to the end of this thing than the beginning. And, and 
maybe where it used to be a slog, maybe now it's like, hey, we really do have to we have to be present and and enjoy this. But what I wanted to ask you, have you seen did you see them on a lot of previous tours? Because these shows are the first time I've ever seen them and they're blowing my mind every time I see them. Like I'm just completely overtaken with yeah. how good they are yeah. as a band, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't like that in the past. I mean, I don't know. Was yeah. Like I, yeah. They kind of like phoning it in. No, they've, they've, they've always been, um, they've, every time I've seen them, they've been, I mean, you see them at stadium shows and sometimes it's, it's hard to get a feel, but I, I still say the best concert I ever saw in my life. And I went, I went by myself. Um, I just couldn't find someone to go with me that night. I saw the stones at Madison square garden on the 40 licks tour. And that was when they were doing, um, they would play like a stadium, an arena and a theater. They would, they would come and set up camp in a city and, and be there for like a week and play three shows. And each night they would spotlight a different album. So I saw them at the garden and, um, Exile on Main Street's my favorite album by anybody. Like if I'm on a desert island and you tell me I can bring five albums, I'm bringing five copies of Exile in case anything happens to them, you know? There are so many people in that boat, dude. It's yeah. crazy how many people feel that way about Exile on Main Street. But yeah, yeah but so that was the that was the show they did? They did and they, yeah, and then they I was there and it was they were completely stripped down. None of the backup singers, and it, it was um, it was just them and uh, the great Bobby Keys on sax and Chuck oh, wow. and Chuck on keyboards, and that was it. It was it was as stripped down as you were going to see them at that point. And they were doing rarities and covers, and then they unfurled a giant uh, Exile on Main Street album cover flag, and they spotlighted it. They did like five or six songs off Exile in a row. And that was, and they did a cover of um, um, Love Train by the OJs. Oh, nice. And people were just dancing in the aisle. It was like they blew the, they blew the roof off the place. So that was. Um, That's a wedding band trick. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Me and Johnny know that. You like going to just going to just segue to Love Train, you know? I mean. So, I mean, they probably did it in a cooler way, but Johnny and I had a <laughs> it, period of time where we were playing wedding bands in New York City. So, yeah, right. Well, it's, it's, it's one more similarity we have with the Stones. <laughs> I, I think you for, you forget what an amazing cover band they are also and, and how that made up for so much of their early career. But what I wanted to ask you about, because you guys had a front row seat for Charlie Watt shows and now Steve Jordan. And um, I have a theory, I'm just, and obviously you guys are the ones to answer this, but I have a theory that they're probably actually a little more energized right now. Like even when you've done something for so long with the same people, even if it's great and it's firing on all cylinders, when you replace one of them, it's like, it's just a different energy and different chemistry. And I feel like, I mean, even though Steve Jordan's probably in his 50s, that's youthful for the Stones. And, and like maybe there's some new youthful energy. So how, how do the shows compare? Well, I think, first of all, you know, like obviously, you know, the whole rock and roll community was saddened by the loss of Charlie. You know, he's just a, a legendary rock and roll drummer. And he was just so influential, you know, to really all backbeats of rock and roll. 
and including Steve, you know, and, and him and uh, Steve Jordan were, were pretty tight, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they were pretty good friends. And I know Steve uh, in some interviews came out and said he was heavily influenced by Charlie. So I think uh, Steve Jordan, obviously he's one of the best session drummers of all time. And I think he's coming in and he's really, uh, he's really, you know, reaching into that influence of Charlie. So, um, you know, he's doing a great job at, at playing it and making it, you know, it's not too different, you know, it's obviously, yeah. it's a different person there, but to, to your point, you know, I think that, I think that they're energized for a couple reasons. One being that, you know, they're paying homage to their, to their, one of their best friends that they just lost like very recently. And then also, you know, you're right. Every time you play with someone different, even if they're playing the same parts, there is a new energy. And, you know, Steve, Steve Jordan is, I guess, like, you know, like you said, like a bit youthful for them. Yeah. So I think it's a combination of the two things. And, uh, you know, the, the shows have been electric. I mean, don't get me wrong. When we opened up for them in 2019, when Charlie was still alive, it was still, they put on a fantastic mm-hmm. show, you know, it was really, really awesome. And, you know, the, the Stones fans, you know, they love Charlie and, the shows that they're doing now, um, you know, they start the show with kind of like a, an homage to Charlie and, and it just, it's this almost like the first time I saw it, it was almost like a spooky energy of just like, you know, for the last 59 years, you've seen one guy behind the kit. And, you know, when you, there's this change all of a sudden, everyone's a little bit uncertain of how it's going to go or is it going to be weird? But I think they've been doing a great job and, and, and uh, putting on some amazing shows. And I think, both of those things contribute to that, you know? Yeah. I'd like to add a little bit to that just from the total, just technical drumming side of things. Cause I'm a bass player. So I think about this stuff. I love the way Charlie played the drums. And, and, and if you listen to the stones a lot, you know, there's this, this kind of like fuck it vibe to their pocket. Yeah. You know, they just yeah. feel like they're just whatever, you know, like nothing too complicated, but then if you actually try to, to play it, it's like, what the fuck are they doing? This is so hard, right? In certain instances, you know. Um, so so when it comes to, and, and one of the great things is in um, Keith Richards' book, he talks actually a lot about the process of arriving finally at getting Charlie to join the band and, you know, how Charlie uh, was sort of resistant in the beginning because he was like a session cat with a lot of good gigs and he wasn't sure that the Stones were really going anywhere. Um, <laughs> I mean, you never fucking know though, right? That's the crazy thing. It's like you can be in the biggest fucking band of all time and still be like, this band sucks, I'm going to quit. Yeah, you know? look at Bill Because you're at a certain point along the journey, right? It's always a possibility. And people have quit the Stones before. So it's like, hey, you know. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is he uh, Keith goes into a lot of detail about talking about a very signature thing that Charlie does, which is when he hits the snare, he doesn't also hit the hi-hat in certain situations. And it's very because it almost looks like there's a little bit of a hiccup. Mm-hmm. It almost gives him the opportunity to drop the snare just a little bit late, which gives the the pocket this feel which is super cool and it's very much the stones you know so when you're like okay charlie's not doing the gig you know what is what's what's it going to feel like when steve gets up there is he going to do that first song i look up there he's not hitting the hi-hat on when he hits the snare he's doing exactly physically what charlie would do so he's like absolutely committed to playing that role yeah. and being the drummer for the Rolling Stones, not walking into that situation being like, I'm Steve Jordan. Look what I can do. And, yeah. and he's doing a phenomenal job at it. It's, yeah. it's really like, I was very heartened when I saw that. I was like, you look like Charlie playing the drums. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's cool. That's I'm... awesome, dude. That is super awesome. Yeah. You know, I have a feeling, I mean, you know, I, I have a feeling that, um, 
it, it might be, uh, you know, maybe you guys know something that no one else does, but I, I feel like it could be just be like a, a shot of a shot of energy that maybe can keep this thing going a, a little longer. Oh man, the way they're playing right now, it would be a crime for them not to book another tour. I mean, yeah, unless they they don't want to play, but they look like they're having a great time. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, how, so I read somewhere, how, did you guys get this Stones gig sending in a video? Yeah, so the, um, the first time we opened up for them in 2019, essentially, um, we finished record. This is like, we kind of like got the, you know, finalized the, the lineup of the band and finished recording our first record, uh, Roses Are Black, which we released a little bit over just two years ago. Mm -hmm. And right after we finished cutting it, we flew out to Wisconsin to green Bay and we played like three songs right before Brett Michaels at like, uh, this amphitheater's final show before they tore it down. And we, you know, we were trying to just get materials together. So we filmed it and edited the video together, made a little EPK and submitted it. And, uh, that's that's how that first one happened. I, I think this this year, since we had done a show with them before, it was, you know, your name kind of sticks out a little bit more right. when you submit. So but yeah, initially it was just putting together that video. It's like three songs and sending it over and just in, you know, in, I'd say Hail Mary, you know, just yeah, for the best. In a million years, did you think that uh that you would end up there? You know, like this is a funny question because people ask me this all the time. Like, do you ever think you would make it here? And I mean, particularly with the Stones, I'm not sure because I didn't, you know, you know, they, they've had they've done many final tours. They did a final tour yeah. in like 2000, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I always thought, you know, I, and I think I feel this way about the guys in the group, too, that we'd end up in this uh, ballpark eventually, you know, um, like I said, whether it was going to be opening up for the Rolling Stones or not for a half a dozen shows. I don't know if I would have imagined that right, per se, right. but yeah, you know. Well, there was also some crazy serendipity in it because, you know, right around the time that we were recording that record, you know, the Stones had to postpone their tour because Mick had a heart thing. Mm -hmm. So there was actually like a uh, period of time where, you know, we knew we wanted to do it, but we thought we we weren't ready and there wasn't enough time, you know, to to get in there. And then all of a sudden, you know, first it was like, oh, my God. Like, I hope Mick's going to be okay. And then they're like, he's okay. We have to postpone the tour. We're just like, huh. Here's a strange little possibility that just sort of showed up. And lo and behold. Yeah. Is there a lot of great bands that that opened on that first tour too? That like, you know, cool. Like New Orleans, they had some, I don't remember what it was called, but they had had some like uh, brass, brass band play, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of cool. Maybe it was actually Rebirth. I don't know. Yeah, and they've got um, this this tour. To, uh, there's still um, who did I see was opening? Um, Gary Clark Jr.'s opening a few of the dates, right? Matt Maniskin. I don't yeah, know. They, they did one. Uh, they did the Vegas one, I think. Have you? I've just started listening to them. Have you checked them out? I haven't actually. That was the first, the first time I saw them uh, or the first I've heard of them. Um, but I mean, you know, kind of like by association, you know, if, it, 
and I hopefully this doesn't come off the wrong way because we're also by association, yeah. but like if the stones picky for their opening slot, like you gotta have something going yes. on. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah, for sure. So definitely yeah. well, how, uh, check them out. <laughs> they're not how even, cool is it that they're that they're willing to, you know, give the these spots to bands that don't already have massive followings, yes. you know, like us. Yeah. yeah. Know, because we're in a we're in this really lovely situation where we're opening for the stones and they're, you know, being extremely generous and it's very beneficial for our career. And um they're doing that with other bands too. And it's very cool. You know, I think when you get to the, the level that they're at to make that conscious decision is, is pretty admirable, mm-hmm. you know, and, and th- their tour is there. It's a, this association for the lifetime of like, of uh, what is it? Allegiance. Association of allegiance of lifetime income or something like that. It has something to do with income equality. So I think there's like a charitable attachment to the tour this time which is also obviously very cool. Yeah. Do you, do you get to spend any time with them backstage? We, sh- we share a bus, a very yeah. small bus with stones. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we don't. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's funny. This tour has been a, a rather interesting one because of all the COVID protocol, yeah. you know, uh, just to even make these events happen. Um, but, uh, you know, we've run into them a couple of times, but, you know, there's less, less fraternized, fraternized, frat, we can't really hang out. Frat, less frat house, less hanging. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's less frat parties, you know, it's kind of let down, but. We, we ran into, uh, Ronnie backstage the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and he is a super friendly guy. I remember that from the first time we got to, uh, meet them, but, um, he was, he had only only lovely things to say and was just very kind with his attention and generous you know in the yeah. moment and that really you know you really re- you really recognize that when you meet somebody of his stature yes yeah and he's been in he's been in more great bands than anybody else in the stones there are people people sleep on Ronnie Wood but um, dude totally I mean I, you can't really say he sleeps on Ronnie Wood because he's Ronnie Wood but at the same time but I mean. I, <laughs> It's it's a tough. He's got Keith and Mick right there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, but Faces were one of the all time great rock bands. People don't know that uh, Rod Stewart was one of the best rock and roll front men there for for a few years, like to ever live. And um, Jeff Beck Group, those first two albums, and Ronnie Wood's got a. Uh, he's got he's got four or five really great solo records too. Yeah. Man, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I feel bad because I got to check out Ronnie Wood's solo, solo records now, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, he still rips, man. I mean, I was, you know, yeah. he's still, his fingers are on fire still. So, you know. Oh cool. yeah. I mean, also just the way that he and Keith play together, they just weave this. Yeah. Ugh. It's so it's so magical, man. You know. Yeah. And well, everything just fits together so casually, but so seamlessly and perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. It was like they sort of did that with Brian Jones in the beginning, and then got away from it because Mick Taylor was so melodic, and yeah. they sort of, they sort of got away from it during the Mick Taylor years, and then when Ronnie came into the fold, they they perfected seventy five. Yeah. Right? Um. Let's talk about your new record. Cool. So one of the, um, again, it's called A Little Calamity, and uh, I love the title track. I've been listening to the album. I absolutely love the title track. Um, 
Bennett, I was texting with you a few weeks ago after I first heard it that um, you guys do a cover of uh, Bruce Springsteen's Thunder Road on it, which I think is just such a ballsy. It's like it's not it's not ballsy. It's not ballsy. It's ballsy. (laughs) There's really not a better word for it. It's like this is like it's ballsy. Sorry, yeah. but I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go on, finish your statement. <laughs> but it's 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 a great it's a great version. But it's also like you have to have a, a certain amount of confidence in your band to to tackle an iconic song like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the bosses, you know, nothing, no one to mess with. You know, like when it comes to when it comes to Bruce, you got to come correct if you're gonna you know try to pull it off and. Mm-hmm. I think we did. I mean, I feel like it's, you know, you can't necessarily try to do those songs exactly as they are. You have to make sure you inject your own flavor into it. And that also comes with like, you know, really knowing yourself and the other members of the band and and knowing where, where they can add, you know, their strengths to it. Uh, We had Sasha Allen who sings with the stones Mm -hmm. on that track as well. So, I mean, she's always crushing. So I, uh, but I do agree. It, it's a, it's definitely, uh, there's a lot of audacity to go try to do a song like that because it's such an iconic song Yeah. that, you know, it, if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't reach the mark, you're trash. It doesn't matter any, if you do anything else on the record, that's great. And right. you know, that's what people are going to remember. So I, I feel like it came it, out. Good, I'm proud of it. Yeah. yeah. And the thing, other, the other thing about it, it's like, um, to a certain extent, we, we feel like there's this audacity to covering certain music and it's a theme that you hear a lot and there's, if you're talking, if you're in a singer songwriter circle, you'll hear, hear people be like, I don't want to hear anybody play Leonard Cohen's Alleluia again, you know, right. like, uh, and, and you can be like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever, you know, but like a song is a song is a song and to a certain extent. And, you know, I don't think that Thunder Road is a song that's been like overly covered. Yes, it is extremely ambitious. Yes. But one of the things that's ambitious about it is that it doesn't have any repeating section of the form. It just like starts and goes. Mm-hmm all the way to the end. You know what I mean? So it's lots of chords. Lots yeah. Of chords. I mean, um, and I think it's like, if you, I, I don't know for sure if it was Thunder Road, but with certain, you can kind of put yourself in the, in the mindset of like Bruce Springsteen being in the studio and being like tormented by the song. Like I, I know with certain songs he was tormented and they're like these works of art. Yeah. You know, like born to run is another one like that. If, I've read he'd wanted to fucking throw it away, you know, can you think about all the shit that's in it and how, how many sections there are and what a nightmare it must've been to negotiate that in the studio. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like, it, you can see how on the one hand it'd be like, Oh, you shouldn't touch that. On the other hand, it's like, man, what a joy to get to play a song like that because he already figured all that shit out. It's almost like getting to cover like Frankenstein by Edgar Winter group or something like that. Cause no band could ever, with like any kind of democracy arrive at that song in, in a <laughs> rehearsal. You know what I mean? It would right. be like, you know the song I'm talking about? Frankenstein. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like the instrumental, just rock out song that every 15 year old wants to play. At least that's how I felt when I was 15. But, um, but yeah, it's just like the fact that it was, that it, that, exi- that it exists. It's like a real joy to record it. I'm, I hope we didn't offend anybody by recording that song. Like well, you know, I liked 
I liked recording it. I liked learning how to do it. I liked going through that journey of it, like thinking about what it was like to come up with that in the first place, you know? And it's a fucking great song. So. It's a great. And after I listened to it, I was, I, I, you know, you were saying, I don't know if it's been covered to death. I can't think, I, I can't think of anybody that I, that I, I couldn't think of one cover version of it. Yeah. The, the, well, the fun part kind of to Ben's point with that song is that there are so many parts we're doing it with a different instrumentation and recording that song was a much different process for us because normally it's like, here's the song, everyone do your thing. Mm-hmm. This one we had to go, okay, we need to make sure someone's got to pick up this line right here. Cause that's really important. If that's not there, then you kind of right. miss it, you know, and figuring out how to do that. Like I remember when we were rehearsing it, like before we hit, hit the red, red light, I'd have to play the intro with an acoustic. I'd put the acoustic over my electric guitar, take it off, switch to the electric. And, you know, it was just like a really fun process of like, you know, exploring, you know, listening to it with everyone saying like, Hey, this part need, we need to make sure someone covers that. Uh, so Joe, you play that on piano or I'll take this line, you know, this guitar melody, that kind of thing. And I mean, it's a beast of a song. So, you know, I hope we did it justice. I've heard that we have, but you know, like I was taken with a grain of salt, but I, I hope that we did, did Bruce proud. I think you guys did a great job with it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, ever, ever meet Bruce. Oh God, I wish. No, although I, uh, my mom does live in New Jersey. Yeah. New Jersey. <laughs> so that was also like a big thing for me is because like in high school, like, you know, on the baseball team, when we'd be taking batting practice, Thunder Road would be on there. Yeah. You know, a bunch of Bruce songs would be on there. So I was like, isn't that like, there's like an ordinance, right? In New Jersey, like it has to be a certain percentage of airwaves at any given moment. It has <laughs> to be boss. So. Exactly. It's yeah. like F- FCC controls that, I think. I had, I had, um, I met him, I hung out with him for maybe 15 minutes. Uh, I almost, I came this close to getting to perform stand up for him, which would have been, I'm, I was at a bar, I was at a bar show doing a comedy contest and, um, I'm sitting at the bar and I've got my back turned to some dude. Our backs are to each other and I'm drinking with one of my friends and I'm listening to him talk and I'm like, oh, that voice sounds familiar, but I'm not thinking about it. And then I, my friend's eyes got really wide. I guess the dude turned around. He's like, it's, it's Springsteen. So I turned around and then he struck up a conversation with all the comics and everybody was playing it real cool. Nobody was doing that. Like, oh, my God, I'm such a big fan. We weren't even talking to him about music. We started talking to him about comedy. And you could tell he was enjoying it. I think he's used, you know, in New Jersey, he gets he gets a certain amount of leeway. People don't bother him that much. And um, we were talking to him about comedy. He was like, oh, you guys are the comedians. I love comedy. You know, he's telling us how much he loved Lenny Bruce. And, you know, because he's such a. Uh, First Amendment guy and um, he was like, oh, what time's the show? We're like 15 minutes. He's like, oh, maybe I'll stick around and watch. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to. And my wife was supposed to meet me. I'm texting her. I'm like, you better hurry the fuck up because I think I'm performing for Springsteen. And um, I knew that I, I was the first one on the show. So I was like, I don't care if I walk him. You know, I don't care. I just want to say I got to perform for him. He could leave two seconds after I'm done. And then um, this fucking open mic comic took his phone out, was like, Bruce, I hate to be that guy, but can I get a selfie? 
And then you could you can see his body language like he just completely oh, man. he just totally deflated. And then four other dudes picked their phones up or were like, oh, can we get one, too? And then he was like gone. It was he was out a back exit in two seconds. Oh, I get That's so- why you got to just photo bomb. <laughs> no, I get, I no, get, I'm, I'm kidding. I I'm get kidding. That's, that's, yeah, that's sad. No, man. I know. You know? I, I get so angry. Every, I still, it was, this was years ago and I still get fired up talking about it because it's like, like what's better, the, the story and the interaction or like the picture that you post on Facebook for a hundred likes. Yeah. I mean, like the thing is, I mean, a hundred likes, dude, a (laughs) hundred likes. Yeah. For, for a hundred, maybe no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, the thing is, it's like, I don't understand people that don't get it. It's like, you don't be that guy, you know, but people are just shameless. There's like, you know, I don't know. I think it's lame. Like, yeah, McCartney came out and announced that he's not signing any more autographs and he thinks it's weird that you even want one. And it's, I agree with him on that. I, I, I told I totally agree. Like, what are you gonna what are you gonna do with that piece of paper later? I mean, like, but it's, it's like about like, value. People want to want it for the collect. It's obviously like a it's a commercial endeavor, you know, yeah. to have a signed piece of mem- memorabilia. You can like trade it in for hard currency at some point. Yeah, but it's that, like that's that annoying to ask somebody for that, you know? Yeah. But is that what it's really for? Or is it just to have proof that you had the experience? But like, you know, like you said, Ken's just like up here, you know, yeah. like no one could ever take that away. From yeah. You. you could lose your autograph in a fire, you yeah. know, like, but I always think that like, and don't get me wrong. I'll never say this to anyone who asks, asks, but I just think autographs, all that stuff is just lame. Yeah. I, like, I if, if you want me to deface this property, like I'm more than happy to do it, but like, it's just bringing the value down. You know? <laughs> I don't know had- that Johnny's Johnny's quite the guitar slinger, man. Maybe one day <laughs> oh, there, there are some, I gotta, I gotta say that there are some guitars out there that are signed by all the ghost towns that we have given to fans. Mm-hmm. And every time I signed a guitar that somebody got, I did that in a very heartfelt manner. So yeah. I no, just, I, I get, I get, quick. I get that. I get like a signed guitar for, yeah, no, that, that I get, but like seeing somebody out at a bar and, you don't have anything on you and how oh, can you, can you sign my bar tab or, or can you like, is it a titty? <laughs> right. That's like the one scenario where maybe, okay, well that's this is a comedy show. I'm yeah. I'm, 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 I'll try to keep it PG 13, but you yeah. can, we, we can, we can be our, <laughs> yeah. Someone asked me to sign a, a grocery store receipt the other day. I was at the grocery store and I was, I was just like, Oh, Fuck man, a grocery store receipt. <laughs> dude, what are you doing? Yeah, oh. but that's I mean, funny, dude. So that means that you you got recognized in the grocery store. Is basically what that means. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. I think like that's new, man. I didn't know that that sort of thing was happening. Was that because of our band, or was that because of yeah. something else? Yeah, that's, I mean, okay. like, there's definitely like a local. Uh, there's there's locally here in Pittsburgh. There's definitely I'm starting to see there's more pride and like mm-hmm. you know people are proud to say that like they there's a band from Pittsburgh opening up for the Rolling Stones. They met them, they get to talk to them. They see them in the grocery store all the time. And that's where I kind of like back off my opinion on it, which is just like, Hey, it's awesome that we get to share this experience together. And the fact that, you know, we get to have this community, uh, we get to build this community around our music where people feel included and they feel, you know, proud to be a part of it. That's where I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm all for that. You know, like, 
Um, and, and it is like, a, it's a, it's an honor bestowed on us too. It's like, as much as I don't want to get stopped in the grocery store and I'm on the phone with my doctor, you know, yeah. like I, I also have to just, you know, take time to appreciate, you know, the, the sense of community that people, you know, want to be a part of. Yeah, no, I listen, the, the not that not that I, I could count on one hand the amount of times I've been at a club that somebody's asked me to maybe sign a flyer or something, but I'll always do it. I just, I don't understand it. You know, I, I, I don't. Well, and to not have back to the Springsteen instance, to not have the presence of mind to know that by crossing that boundary, you're going to fuck it up for everybody. Yes. You know what I mean? That's what's really obnoxious about and, it. That, yeah. It's like, if you've gone to the point to like cultivate an intimate hang with somebody who from their perspective, that's probably very difficult to achieve because of their celebrity status, right. you know? And right. so they're getting to have this moment that you're kind of as the group curating for them, right? Know? which is like a gift and, you can give back to somebody yes. who you really care about, right. like Bruce Springsteen. Right. And he, oh. and he was, he was curious about us, you know, like he was yeah. asking questions about comedy and you're an entertainer, man. Yes. You're going to be able to entertain him in the way he had entertained you all those times. Yes. So and I, I, and I was, I was grappling with, I had just seen him do, um, it was, it was originally supposed to be a one-off and I was at the garden when they did, they performed the river in its entirety. And oh, nice. I, a couple, a few years later after Clarence Clemens passed away, they, they came back and did a whole tour performing the river. But at, at the time it was announced that it was going to be the only time ever and before he introduced, um, you know, they, they opened with one song and then went right into the river. But when he introduced it, he said that it was written in a time of um, like during Reaganomics and, uh, you know, the, the economy was was bad and, and people were losing their homes and uh, his sister's house was about to be foreclosed on. And she didn't know if she was going to be able to keep it. And that was what he had in mind when he wrote this album. And I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, man, his poor sister, like, if only she knew someone that wrote Born to Run, maybe they can save her house. You know, like, and I, I was like, what's he talking about? Like, why wouldn't he just be like, I took care of my sister's house for her. I wrote this album anyway, and it had nothing to do with it. And then I, I wanted, I was like, do I have the balls to bring that up on stage? <laughs> And I was like, I think I do. I think I'm going to tease him about that. And I was so oh, ex- I was so excited. He'd probably be a good sport about it. I think he would. I I was so excited at the thought of doing that. And then this dude pulled his phone out and oh, fucking God. ruined it. So that joke went to the like land of lost jokes, dude. Yeah. Do you think about that as a comedian? Is it like you know? Because sometimes I mean, we'll jam. There'll be like a thing that happens, and you're like nobody nobody was recording on their phone or whatever it was awesome and you hit some stuff it's like one for the gods you know mm-hmm. you like never you'll never be able to go back to it turn it into a song it yeah just like dies but like there are jokes i know this because well we sometimes when we're drinking we're really funny but then this crazy thing happens you don't remember it the next morning yep but i remember laughing yeah like uproariously yeah oftentimes with johnny by the way um there, so there. like what's that like for for a comedian it must be constantly frustrating all all the jokes you lose by the wayside. It's frustrating. There's also, it's not just lost jokes, but there's something that uh, I call um, weed funny. So I'll be high and I'll think of a joke. (laughs) I'll smoke a joint and I'll be like, this for sure 
this bit is maybe the funniest thing I've ever written in my life. <laughs> and I get so excited about it. And then I forget like, oh, this might just be weed funny. And then the next morning I'll like wake up and then I'll revisit it and I'll be like, oh, that's that's not funny. That's not even kind of funny. That was just weed funny. Yeah, I like that. I like that term. (laughs) Yeah, it happens with a lot of things. So I think he smoked weed. So then weed funny is actually funny. Mm -hmm. I think uh I think it happens a lot of times when, when you're in something, you know, you, you get emotionally drunk on it, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you, you're able to come back to your senses a little bit, like I do with songs all the time, same thing where I'm like, Oh, this is the best thing ever. I'll track it. I'll work on it for hours. I'll go to bed and listen to it to the next day. And I'll be like, I just, let me just put that in the trash bin right now. You know, that's garbage, but same concept. Yeah. I just like to dig deeper. I'm like, it's not funny or it doesn't sound good, but I'm just going to just keep working yep. at it yep. and then just end up with some terrible, really weird stuff. Yeah, but that's that there's so much beauty in some of that. You you get some of your best stuff out of the for me, for comedy, it's it's uncomfortable moments. You know, I'm I'm. If I'm on stage and it's not going well and I'm not feeling the crowd, I feel like this is the advantage uh, comics have over you guys. Like you guys have to try and entertain. Like if I hate the crowd, I can just turn to them and be like, I, I, I hope every last one of you wraps your car around a telephone pole on the way out of here. Tonight. <laughs> Dude, you know, like I honestly – they do stand-up comedy and I sort of can be funny like mm-hmm. off the cuff in certain moments, but even the thought of trying to do five minutes of stand-up comedy is like petrifyingly frightening to me. Yeah. Like I would so, so much prefer to be able to hide behind a melody. Yeah. Or like a bass line or something. Well, I playing I, a song that like everybody knows yes. it's such an easy way to yep. win them over. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. But you can't tell the same joke that like, I guess you used to be able to do that, but now you really, you really have to tell your own jokes, don't yes. you? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, you know, you, you <sighs> it's have. Like, um, I mean, I've written, I've written a little bit of original music that would work, but I mean, none of it's famous. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you, you know, I, I'm just saying, I, I, I don't know how Johnny feels about this, but I'm, I'm very comfortable in the musician side of this equation. Uh, how would you feel about doing stand-up comedy, Johnny? I... I would give it a shot. I mean, I, I kind of like, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, so I'm very direct. So I've, I kind of envy the fact that you can be like, yo, I hope all you guys die on the way home. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think that that's an art form within itself too, because you just got to say it. And you know, like that might be the fun, that might be the thing that wins them over, you know? It, it actually, it, it is. Um, <laughs> It's sometimes it is. Sometimes that's what they want. Sometimes they want you to yell at them to die in a fire. Like sometimes that's that's what they think is funny. And it's it's um, and you have to. But I'll I'll mind those uncomfortable moments. I, I kind of I, if I'll be like, all right, if they're not feeling me and this is uncomfortable, let's see how uncomfortable we can get it. I mean, if I can give you any inspiration to retell to retell that story, if next time you're on stage or sometime when you're on stage and say how you almost performed for Bruce, but then one guy fucked it up with a selfie. So you, you took him outside back after the show and beat the shit out of him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good story, though. Oh, I was I was so salty about that. Um, and I think the other thing that. Like where I think where you guys have it great is um, 
people want like there's something about music people want to hear the same songs over and over so um that's a funny thing and and you're right you know and um it's interesting because from the perspective of a lot of musicians, there can be this idea that like, Oh, we should change it every fucking time. And like, it must suck to play the same songs over and over again. But then you have your icons. And if you go see them live, you sure fucking want to hear them play the songs that you want to hear them play. Like it's going to be obnoxious for you. And you start to realize it's much more about like you're saying, it's like, do you have a, a, a respect for the role you're playing sort of as entertainer. And then if, if you can embrace that and be like, I want to play this song the right way as well as I can for the benefit of my audience, then, you know, the reciprocal energy you can get back from an audience is truly beautiful. And that, I think I, I really love that. That's my favorite thing about being a musician. I would rather have that reciprocal energy perform a song the way that the audience wants to hear it than to, you know, right. Than like be extremely avant-garde. Not that there's not a position or an, right. and a need for that type of music. You know? it, it'll, you know, it, it, it all gets its audience. I mean, Bob Dylan, you go see Bob Dylan now and he changes the arrangements to the song so much that you can be halfway or three quarters of the way through the song before you even recognize what he's playing. You got to be a little bit of a Bob Dylan scholar these days yes. to really enjoy a Bob Dylan concert. <laughs> you know, I mean... It's, it's cool. You know, I remember a few years ago and I was, I was a lot younger and I wasn't really like huge on Bob Dylan yet, mm-hmm. but back to back, I saw Levon Helm and his band at summer stage in uh, central park. And then the next day I saw Bob Dylan out at Jones beach. Um, and man, it was like, I could recognize all the songs that Levon Helm was playing. Right. You know what I mean? When I saw Bob Dylan's band, it was great. The band was killing and stuff like that. But I was like, wow, this is ethereal. <laughs> like I should pay closer attention. You know, I wish I had a playbook. Yeah. You know, with like lyrics and stuff, but. But I guess that's, I guess that, you know, he, he's doing it to keep it interesting and fresh for him. Oh yeah. He's so much more than just, than just an entertainer. I mean, he's, he's like such a voice of a generation just with his poetry in and of itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, and when we get like comics, it's like people only want to hear the new shit. Like me, Ch- when Chip's here, we talk about this all the time when we have musicians in. It's like musicians. Well, an old joke doesn't hit like an old song. It's kind of weird, right? You, you, right. You you can you hear a joke once and then you never need to hear it again. Because it's the jokes. It's just it's the element of surprise. You know, it's it's right. the misdirection and then the surprise. And then once you've heard it, it just doesn't hit the way, you know, the the way that uh, hearing satisfaction for the 10 millionth time does. Yeah. And right. you know, I think it's really uh, what, what always fascinated me is like, do I like this song because it's familiar or is it familiar because I like the song? And the more you hear a song, like I, I, it's happened to me where I've heard a song for the first time, I'm like, eh. But yeah. then I'll be out and I'll hear it somewhere. And then all of a sudden I'm tying the memories I had to that music. Mm-hmm. And the way like my brain works, and I think a lot of people, is if I hear a song from a certain like junior high school summer or whatever, yeah. it takes me right back to yes. that memory. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden you're using these songs as like a memory tag, like to help you revisit these good times yeah. or not good times, whatever it is. And it kind of like evokes a, an emotion out of you. 
where, you know, it's, it's better for most people to hear a song they're familiar with because it's just more than just the music. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. That's a really good point. It's like, and then when you combine that with songwriting, like Bruce Springsteen, where he's like literally telling you your own story, at least if you're from New Jersey, you yeah. know, then it's like, it's just so fucking powerful, man. It's like, Oh my God, it's magic. I, I, uh, I, I worked at, I worked in the house band at cafe. Wa. I don't know if you know, mm-hmm. it's in yeah. uh, village Greenwich, or Greenwich village yep. for a number of years. And I got to do a number of uh, tribute shows and I did do a tribute show for uh, Springsteen, man. And I did, I actually did several. And those were such a blast, man, because of just how impactful that body of work is on a crowd that knows it and loves it, that has those memories tied in with those songs. You know, it's like unbelievable, man. No, you can't slay an audience any easier than that. Like if you're just like giving them Springsteen songs back to back, (laughs) yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, I had, you can see why he doesn't want to stop. Why he performs for like five, ten, fifteen hours in a row. Yeah, it's it's it's, live. <laughs> it's crazy. Colin Quinn is a great bit about him. About uh, like he claims to be such a friend of the working man, but then like, why are you playing for four hours on a Tuesday when these people got to get up at six a.m.? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I know. None of them are complaining though. No. Um. So I, I was. Sorry. I was reading that your new album is tracked live. So explain to the audience what that means. Uh, Essentially, um, we, you know, we spend maybe a few days a week, you know, kind of, you know, rehearsing the songs like pre-production. And then, you know, when we hit record, we're all in the same room um, and we just play the song Mm -hmm. um, just like we would on stage. And I, I think, it was a little bit different than our first record, which was a little bit more segmented in terms of the recording process. But I think because we just hit the road and we develop, you know, there's a natural evolution of chemistry when you're playing live a bunch of shows, a bunch of shows. And we kind of just all sat into, you know, fell into our roles in the band. And this record really kind of, to me anyway, really demonstrates that the best out of any of our work so far. And, um, yeah, so we just get in the room. That red light would turn on. We'd play the song. Uh, we'd usually redo like the vocals over, just so there's no bleed from the other instruments, you mm-hmm. know. And um, I don't. I think I played most, if not all, of my guitar solos live too. You know, it was just like being at a show. And you know, I think part of that, part of the reason why we did that process is because we wanted people to just, you know, what you hear is what you get. Come to a show, and that's what you know. It's going to sound like the record just in person yeah, that's you know and, and not to say like when you hear us live it sounds just like the record but meaning like you know there's no tricks you know and during the recording process you know right it just is what it is yeah and that that's what it sounds like i think that's that's probably why i like it so much i love that um i love that ross and that's why i love the stones because they the, the most I, I i don't know if they still do it but all those classic albums were were done live in the studio and yeah. um, for me, with this kind of music, you know, it, it almost like, in my opinion, it has to be done live because so much of what you're doing is just trying to capture the energy. Yeah, you know, right. at this phase, everyone can play their instrument. You know, it's not like, it's not like, you know, I'm, I'll use Bennett as an example. It's not like he has to record the, through the first chorus, then we have to pause it, and then he gets, can go from there. 
he can just play it, you know? So, so much about this music is about emoting and the energy that is happening and also playing at the same time helps with that because we're all in the same room. We're all making eye contact and we're all like feeding off of each other. So you might hear, you know, and it's funny because like I have listening, usually do like three or four takes for each song to have like some safe, some safeties there, but you can hear the, we took the first or second take most of the time. Yeah, usually, honestly, usually the first, and then you're just chasing the dragon, you know. Yeah. But you just want to, you want to give, uh, you know, your, your engineer, your producer, you know, something just in case, like there's something you didn't hear, you know. But uh, you can hear from take to take, you know, the kind of different subtleties and the different, you know, calm response things that we do. So it's just about energy, man. That's that's it. Attitude. Yeah. Rock and roll's about attitude, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, and I can say just from, from my perspective, it's, it's just funny because, you know, we would take the first or the second take, but then, you know, we actually recorded this record right before the pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. And so then we actually took this long break. We weren't able to play with each other, you know, blah, 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 blah. Everybody's been through that. Okay. We finally got to come back and start playing again. We get to listen to this music that we recorded. This is before the album had dropped, but like with the premise that we're going to be performing this music live. And then, you know, we start to get to almost play our own music. Like we're fans of it a little bit. Like at that first point when we were recording it, it's like, make sure you don't fuck it up. Yeah. Make it through to the end. Don't be the one guy that fucks up this take so that we have to start again and we can't use this because somebody else might be having the best take of their life right now. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So you just try to get it done get something that's good enough. You get that out there. And now we get to perform these songs. So like what I'm excited about is I, I, I hope that if you see us live, it's actually a better performance because we're like more well rehearsed with this material. We've had more opportunity to play it in front of audiences. We know how we sit with it. We can do what Johnny was saying was emote with the music. Yeah. You know, we're like, we get to be more focused on really being in it and playing that music, being in that stadium with that crowd feeling that power. It's so cool, but we're not caught up with this, you know, what happens? Wait, where does the bridge go? Yeah. Yeah. Which you have to think about when you're recording it the first day in the studio and you have no idea if it's going to work out or not, you know? And, um, I would imagine like having a little bit of time pass between the recording and then getting out to, to play it live. It's like, you're almost even more excited now to 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 play it like you're you're not you're not sick of it yet you haven't been doing it to death so it's no and there's little easter eggs that we develop as time goes by and as we rehearse little things that we do that we didn't do on the record that now we do live and it it makes the song more fun yeah you know maybe makes it pop out in a little way so sometimes we've always sort of got something we're working on i think in the set trying to get it off and then we're trying to pull it off Mm -hmm. you know you know, you guys were saying that um, you couldn't imagine or, or Bennett, you were saying you couldn't imagine doing stand up. I couldn't imagine like the idea of being in a band and having all those different personalities that, that you got to manage and different egos. But also like the idea of what if five guys are having a great day and I'm shitting the bed? Like that, that's, that feels like pressure that, that I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't imagine. What, what I what I love doing about what I do, it's it's just me. Like if, if if I let anybody down, I'm only letting me down. And I've I've been letting me down my whole life, you know, so like that's nothing. 
I can, <laughs> hey man, I, Scott, you got good company in that camp. Uh, I can I can shake a bomb off in two minutes. You know, I I can I could bomb. Yeah. I, I've been booed off the stage, and I I shake that off in two minutes because I'm the only one that got affected. But if I was having a bad night and I brought down people that depended on me, I'd like that would keep me up. I wouldn't sleep for weeks. And, you know, if finding the right dynamic in a band where everybody is able to play the music well and at the right level, you know, like yeah. that's the first thing you have to figure out when you're a young musician. You're trying to like you're, you're trying to find your people who you can actually play music with. It's not easy yeah. to find those people. Sometimes you get lucky and you find a good group of people you can like gel with is absolutely not guaranteed. I right. mean, you know, I think that we're really, really lucky to have the dynamic in our band that we do right now. I think we're pretty close friends. We've spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Um, and we have some, some music we're really proud of to show for it, you know, which is the best possible scenario in a lot of ways, you know, because it could be like, I think you, if you, if you look through the history of rock and roll, there's a lot of, you know, descriptions of the inter internal workings of bands. And it is like a psychological nightmare. Yes. Like that definitely exists out there. So, I mean, you're, you're like, and this is why people are like what you're saying. There's a lot of people that are like, I want to go solo. Like fuck all of you, mm -hmm. everybody else in the band, fuck you all. Yeah. And well, I, mean, I think they, being in a band is, is definitely an octopus of a relationship, you know, like, and, yeah. and I think it takes a lot of trust, you know, musically and otherwise where, you know, there might be something I feel strongly about that Bennett might disagree with. And I have to, you know, there's compromise and trust it's like in any relationship. And I have to, whenever that happens, we just do what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh, if it doesn't work out, you know, we'll hockey fight in the parking lot after the show, you know, so adult stuff. No, nah, but it, it, we're, we're very lucky. We're very fortunate. Other guys in the band are, are, are cla uh, world-class musicians, you know, and mm -hmm. world-class people, which is arguably more important, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, we've really, really settled into the dynamic of the band as being put together so quickly. And, you know, Bennett and I have been playing together for the better part of the last decade. Same with me and Blaze, our drummer, mm -hmm. um, you know, Trey and, and Joe, you know, were kind of like, you know, new to us. And it was just about, you know, we're lucky to have this core foundation of, you know, the three of us and Thomas, and then having, you know, people just kind of come in and gel together, you know, so very fortunate, love, love the guys in the band. Um, and also to one more point, you said, you know, we're very dedicated to being there for each other and for the band. Like it is, it is a commitment when you're in a band to make sure you're there because it is a thing. If somebody's not there, yeah, you, you really let down the entire operation. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there is, yeah, I mean, there, there's that, that's a huge part of deciding to be in a band with people and having the band, I think succeed is making that commitment to like be there for each other mm -hmm. to not, not let each other down. And, you know, and the consequences of that can be something really awesome. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that that's it, it, uh, for me. I mean, if, if I could play music, that's what I would do. But um, that I, I tell I tell dick jokes because I can't I'm, I have no I have no musical talent. But um, we've been known to tell a lot of dick jokes. too. Yeah. So. I mean, shit, dude, if I can play music, that would probably be the next best profession for me. Yeah, I, th I think like, I luckily th there's a career for you with dick jokes. Yes. Let's go talk to Ken Krantz. He's going to get you started. <laughs> there's a lot of um, 
I think a lot of musicians are frustrated comics and a lot of comics are frustrated oh, yeah. musicians for sure. What's, um, what is, uh, and I'll let you guys out of here in a couple minutes, but, um, what's, what's the fastest you've turned a song around? So like someone comes up with a germ of an idea of a song. What's the fastest that you took that germ of an idea to, we're going to rehearse it and play it tonight. Uh, like play it live. Or yeah. Like, like play it, like play it live in front of people. Um, in this band, I think because of, well, I should say less than a week because that when we cut our first record, it went from a germ of an idea to a more developed idea to recording it on wax and then flying out to play it as mm -hmm. soon as we finished tracking. So that's about a, a week, you know, um, it in other like, situations, I mean, it's like a fast turnaround. It sounded, I mean, it was definitely a fast yeah, track sounds... process. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, how exciting other, is that, though, when 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 the idea is still so fresh in your mind and, and then you're out like that for me, for what I do, the immediacy of it is is my absolute favorite thing that five minutes before I go on stage, I can have an idea and I go, oh, fuck it. I'll just let me try that. You know? And, and, yeah, that's very cool. That level of yeah. flow state with your yeah. art, man. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean. I I, I love the thrill of, of, of doing that and kind of improvising it through. I mean, when I we used to play in New York city for a long time and I'd be on stage with an artist and they'd be like, just, we're playing this song, just follow me. And I'm like, I don't know that song at all. And they're like, I just wrote it. And I'm like, I guess I'll just follow <laughs> to me. That's exciting. You know, like in yeah. a terrifying way. That's yeah. exciting. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's... And then at the end of that situation, they're like, Hey, you just helped me write a song, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Cause you, I mean, it may sound like shit might, might, might've been amazing. That's is there um, is there anything more thrilling than like doing something brand new for the first time and seeing people? Well, see, yeah, to, to that to that point in this band, Ghost Towns, from my experience, because I actually hadn't joined the band at the point when Johnny was talking about when mm -hmm. they recorded that first record. Um, the uh, the song "Half My Fault" was a song that kind of like started off just kind of like as a vibe. We would just kind of like sometimes come back to mm -hmm. just in rehearsals between other tunes. And um, that was that's off of this record, but it was we played that on our tour last year uh, when or two years ago in 2019 when we went on the road with ZZ Top. Yeah, right. So yeah. hadn't been released yet that we had very recently sort of like come across. So I got a lot of sense of excitement about playing that song in that sense because mm -hmm. it 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 felt like it had an organic sort of arrival for us as a band. Um, and then we just enjoyed playing it a lot. So yeah. we were like, ah, let's throw this one in the set. And we threw it in the set and it, it like hit really hard. Yeah. And then that was kind of like this experience where you're sort of like, cause you, you trust your instinct and you don't trust your instinct when, when you're a musician. Cause like, we've all been in a position where we thought we did something that was super cool. And then been like, Oh my God, I hope nobody ever knows I had that idea. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and so, like in an instance like that, where it's like, I think this is a pretty good idea. You know, it's really the litmus test when you put it in front of an audience yes. and when they respond to it, they're like, fuck yeah, that's a good song. You're like, it is a good song. <laughs> I knew it was a good song, you know, but you can't really trust yourself all the time because we've all thought we had gold and we didn't. Yeah. Now yeah. a quick, quick story about that, about that tune. And Bennett reminded me is that 
we were doing a gig in Pittsburgh and our background singers got stuck in traffic. So they were like running a little bit behind for sound check. And I, I remember Thomas, our other guitar player, started playing the intro, you know, that the riff to half my fault that you're right at the beginning. And we, we were just like, well, we're, we're not doing anything anyway. So we just fell in and jammed. And uh, then he went, you know, Thomas went home, wrote the lyrics, finished the song. And we, you know, we played it on the ZZ Top tour. And actually Billy Gibbons uh, was like, that's my favorite song in the set. Oh. And, you know, it, the litmus test, like not only putting it in front of an audience, but then having the Reverend come out. Right. Yeah and be like yeah no that's the one right there you know that was that was a cool experience you know um and it, it just a testament to the to the the quality of the song you know thomas you know came up with the came up with the riff and we kind of jammed on it and then he was like okay now i know where this needs to go and he just went back penned the lyrics and then it was just like off to the races you know it's a great it's also a very simple song you yes. know it's not like those ones when, when billy's like yeah that's that's it he's kind of also saying like don't fuck up the stew guys. Right. Like you got a good beat. You got like a simple concept and it's like works. Don't fuck it up. You know? Yeah. No, it, it's, it it's like, the, when I, when I heard it, it was, um, it felt instantly familiar, you know, which, which is yeah. a huge, I think it's a huge compliment for music. Like it was like, even though I've never heard this before, it feels like I've heard this a million times, you know, in, in the best sense of that. Um, I, I was, I which listened, is also, cut, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, I, I, I was just going to say like the second I heard it, I was like, Oh, this sounds like, this sounds like it could have been off the black crows, shake your money, mate. You know, that, that whole album, which just sounded like a jukebox of, of singles, like that whole album sounded like, just rock is rocking singles and as the second i heard that i was like yeah this this is right in my wheelhouse this is this the shit that i love and, you know, that's the shit that i love too and when i was a kid that's what i loved and i had to take a very long roundabout way of playing all sorts of other music sometimes really absurdly complicated things in yeah. order to come back at this point where it's like no man just rock and roll yeah which is like sort of what our band is about you know it's like we're not trying to be the freshest sound you've ever heard we're playing to, we're trying to play rock and roll we're trying to play the blues we're trying to play country we're mm. trying to play just good songs so you know? it's, I, I hear we're trying soul to like in there put a good show together yeah you don't have to reinvent the wheel it's 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 exactly. it's been invented and it's, it's really great yeah the people have spoken yeah they like they like rock and roll yeah. Well, it's I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna you know show my uh, show my ass too much here in comedy, but there's like an old joke I heard, which is like, what's the difference between a rock guitarist and a jazz guitarist? The rock guitarist plays three chords for three thousand people, and the jazz guitarist plays three thousand chords. For three <laughs> yeah. you know, so. Sorry, sorry, jazz guitarists who are listening. <laughs> We're not. We know some of you have played the pack rooms before. You've seen that. It happens. All right. Well, listen, guys, good luck with uh, good luck with the rest of the tour. Hopefully um, we'll see you on more shows with the Stones. I have a feeling we will. Good luck with the album. If if you're listening, go go listen to the album. I've, I've been listening to it for a couple of days to get ready for today. And it's just it's just it's a great rock album. Uh, really well done. So congratulations, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Man. Yeah, this was great. I hope you, Thank had you fun. so much. Yeah. Rock on, man. All right. We'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. 